Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Good morning. It's a real privilege to be here this morning and have the opportunity to talk about this incredible event in Scripture. We're going to look at it this morning uh, from Matthew and several other places. Also want you to pray for Pastor Paul. He's uh, doing grandfather duties in California and father duties. He's helping uh, Ben and Kat have got to move to San Diego. So Ben's there and Paul gets to help. And then he's going to be speaking tonight in his brother-in-law's church in Fremont. So uh, pray for the Martins. And uh, this morning, as we look at this message. This is called Holy Week or Passover Week. And for some folks, it's just a time for another break, uh, a little vacation. But I want you to know today the subject of the triumphal entry is sealed in the heart of God. It is uh, a day that has been blueprinted in eternity past. This morning as we examine the account that was quoted, uh, it's going to again testify to God's divine order, not only in every day of the life of Christ, but in every day of our lives. I appreciated so much this morning Ben quoting the scripture. He is a gift to our church, and Ben, thank you for functioning. It takes a lot of work to memorize like that. I appreciate it. 
And as he quoted what was happening on the triumphal entry, how that Christ is entering Jerusalem on a young donkey, historians tell us that during the Passover, there were at least 260,000 animals sacrificed. I talked to Alan in the first service a little bit. I said, Alan, how long would it take you to kill that many animals? Big week. <laughs> then I started to understand why priests retired when they are 50. They took them out. Why? Because they couldn't work in the butcher shop anymore. Blood was flowing from the temple into the Valley Kedron. What a sight. Historians tell us there were probably two million people in Jerusalem, that area, during that time. Not only did the men there, the people there, not understand, but the angels were very curious as to what's going on here. They had observed Passovers. I love some of the things the New Testament says about angels in 1 Peter 1.12, it says that as the gospel, they preach the gospel to you, Peter says, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, the things which the angels desire to look into. Have you ever thought of that when you're sharing the gospel of Christ with somebody? Angels are watching you. Uh, how would an angel view that? Well, I, I think a couple of things. You know, we're lower than the angels. And they can't believe that somebody like you and I, who were dead in our trespasses and sins, is able to share the gospel. And then the gospel makes dead people come alive. And the angels are very curious about this. In Luke 15, 10, it says, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, he says, We have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and men. And then one of my favorite passages of scriptures in Ephesians 3, where Paul says, And to the intent now the manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church. Do, did you know that part of that's being fulfilled just of us being right here? God's wisdom is being revealed. And then in Ephesians it says, to principalities, and to powers in heavenly places. Those are ranks of angels. So the angels 
were watching in Jerusalem when these things were happening. The angels are watching here this morning as we worship the Lord. And the fact of this day, heaven is watching. Now, we see in context here, humanly, things are being driven by men. I love Dr. Bookman's observation about the life of Christ, that, that we see the actions of men, and men are being driven by their own desires, and they're just doing what God wants to accomplish. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? And we're going to go through a few things here that led up to the text we're looking at in just a moment. When Jesus is getting ready to go into Jerusalem, there is a fever pitch thought among the Jews. Now you remember, the Old Testament, the Jews are looking for a king, for a Messiah. The history of the nation Israel, they reached their pinnacle under Solomon and David. Right after David, the nation of Israel split. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Then we have the ministry of the prophets. The prophets are telling Israel, you better repent, you better get right with God, or you're going to be taken captive. In their prosperity and in their arrogance, they didn't repent. 520, or 722, the northern kingdom went into Assyrian captivity. 586, the southern kingdom went in to captivity under Babylon. Now, God said they were going to be judged. They were going to go into captivity. Northern kingdom was scattered. They never did come back. Southern kingdom came back. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all those books about the return. The Jews under Babylonian captivity were under the Babylonians. They were under the Medes and the Persians. They were under the Greeks. Alexander the Greek was their master for some time. Then about 90 AD, the Romans took over, and the Romans are in charge when Christ enters the city. The Jews longed now, you remember, some of them got to go back to Jerusalem 70, uh, under the decree of Cyrus. They rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the walls. They were a shadow of what Israel was during the reign of Solomon and David. <clears throat> but here... The prophets always said a remnant's going to be saved. It's part of their message. When will the king come? When will the king come? And 
they're going to miss the Prince of Peace. Jesus has ministered three years publicly in the Galilee. How would you have liked to have been around his ministry? Every town that he went into. Somebody's sick, he can heal them. You, maybe you were one of those who sat on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he fed the multitudes from just a little lunch. And you heard tales of him walking on the water. There was none like him. And he's come to Jerusalem during the Passover. I love those words in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 51. It says, And as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, that's what it says in the ESV. In the New King James, it says he steadfastly, and the Greek says he set his face. To set your face was a Hebrewism implying fixedness of purpose in face of danger. He fixed his face toward Jerusalem. Now, the affairs that are being coordinated as Jesus comes down to just before he goes to Jerusalem, he heals the crippled woman in Luke 13. The thing that really got the Pharisees in Jerusalem was Lazarus is dead and Jesus raises him from the dead. And the scriptures say at that time they began to plot to kill him. Can you imagine if that rumor got circulated far and wide? Here, he can raise the dead. Oh, no, he's feeding the multitudes and he's healing people. Uh, we got to take care of this guy. <clears throat> For the, he ten, heals ten men with leprosy. He predicts the death of Christ his death for the third time. And as he's coming up to Jerusalem, he goes through the city of Jericho. Now, all the Sunday school kids can tell about Jericho because that's when Zacchaeus climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus wound up spending the night in Jericho with Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus... <coughs> was a moral blot to Judaism. He was a Jew who was a tax collector for the Romans. So his popularity was really bad, and he spent the night, Jesus did, with Zacchaeus. The next morning he gets up, and as he leaves town, there is a blind man named Bartimaeus. Actually, Bartimaeus and his friend, who were both blind. And as Jesus begins to leave Jericho, they beg for him to heal them. And he did. Now, we read that, and it doesn't have a lot of impact, but 
I'm telling you, it was a, one of the things that Jesus used to prove he was who he declared himself to be because of the witness of two people. They were ticked off at him for staying at Zacchaeus' house, and they couldn't deny it when he left town that he healed two blind men. He goes on up to Jerusalem from Jericho. Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. And now we get to the passage Ben quoted, Matthew 21. And now as they drew near to Jerusalem, they're coming up toward the Mount of Olives. They were coming to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus sends two disciples. He says, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anybody says, what are you doing? You tell them, the Lord has need of them. And he will send them at once. Wow. His arrival was really miraculous. Go take a fellow's donkey, don't even ask about him. And if they say anything, you just say, the Lord has need of it. Why? Because God's preparing the heart of men. Then, in verse 4, it says, he took place, uh, uh, this took place, what was spoken by the prophet. And he quotes Zechariah 9.9. 9. Zechariah made that statement 500 years earlier. And he says, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, donkey a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, brought his mama and brought the colt together, one on which man had never sat, and that was going to be the vehicle that Zechariah prophesied. Christ now is going to use to enter the city of Jerusalem. Now, in this next little section, from verse 8 to 11, we see the crowd's desire and Jesus' deeds. As he starts to enter the city, now, this people knew who he was from Galilee, and his deeds had surrounded Jerusalem. There were people in Bethany still talking about the resurrection of Zechariah, or, or I mean of uh, uh, <clears throat> of, Za uh, of Lazarus from the dead, and. Uh, so they start throwing their clothes. They start, they start taking 
palm branches and laying them down all the way from the top of the Mount of Olives to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, they were following him and they were shouting. Thanks for the song, Hosanna. And what were they crying out? They were saying, save us now. Save us now, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, or save us now in the highest. It's time. You know the tragedy? These folks were looking for a king. Somebody who could kick the Romans out and set up a holy kingdom. And they wanted it done now. And it says when he entered Jerusalem, the city was stirred up. Oh, can you imagine that whole big crowd of people coming in to Jerusalem? He gets inside the city. And they're saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And we read the accounts in Luke. And the Pharisees told Jesus, tell them to shut up. Now that's a colloquial translation, but that was the point. They wanted him to quiet down. And Jesus uttered these words. He had been, he said, if these were silent, this crowd, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now I ask you, how big a day is this? This is an incredible day. Christ had set his face on coming to Jerusalem. The crowd didn't know it, but he was coming there to make his once and for all sacrifice for our sins. It's an amazing thing. Now this week, Sunday, he enters triumphantly Jerusalem. On Monday, he cleanses the temple. On Tuesday, he teaches through parables. Wednesday, he rests because the next few days are going to be totally unique, totally exhausting. On Thursday, he celebrates the Passover and the Last Supper, and he is betrayed by Judas Iscariot, Late Thursday night or early Friday morning, Jesus is arrested by the Roman authorities. That day he was crucified on the cross and he was buried in the tomb. And Friday afternoon, Saturday and Sunday, he was in the tomb. And Sunday morning, and we'll hear about that next week, he was raised from the dead. Now, those are the facts of the present. If you would have been there, that was what was going on 
then. Now, the facts of the past, I've made reference to the fact that this is God's eternal plan for each of us today. God, his plans are eternal. I know many of you have spent some time in John 17. It's a wonderful passage. It's a wonderful prayer. But listen to these words in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Then Paul, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1.4, says, Just as he chose us and him before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.20, He indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world. And this is an incredible title for Christ in Revelation 13.8. It was written in the book of of life of the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. You see, Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. You remember clear back in Genesis 3 and verse 15, Adam and Eve had got their consequences for the for their sins. And then the conversation of God to the woman and to the serpent. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Friends, the spiritual battle has never, ever stopped. Between your seed and her seed, That's the first mention of the virgin birth in the Bible. And talking about her seed, he shall crush or bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And what we were getting ready to see in this portion of the Gospels is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Satan finally had the Son of God. Couldn't kill him in Bethlehem when he killed all those two-year-old and under. He has been in spiritual warfare. The Pharisees are wanting to kill him. And he crushes, he bruises his heel. You know, The Old Testament is just filled with predictions of the coming of Christ, of shadowing the coming of Christ. We don't have time this morning, but you can spend a little time on Genesis 5. And that's the genealogy, it's not real exciting, from Adam to Noah. If you take the definition of the names of those people from Adam to Noah. 
Seth, Enos, Kenan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Here's the message. Man appointed to mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. That's what's happening. You remember in Genesis 8, the flood subsided. Noah sacrificed. After the promises to Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham built an altar and sacrificed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. The virgin birth of Christ was told to us clearly in Isaiah 7, 4, and Isaiah 53. They didn't get this. The suffering servant. And in Daniel 9, he talks about the coming prince, and Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem at the triumphal entry just exactly on the day that God told Daniel he was going to come in. The Messiah, the prince. I love the way Carl opened the service today. Looking back on that day, he had the exact number. I'm glad Carl's a detail man. <laughs> when Christ was born, you remember what happened? Where is he going to be at? The prophets knew, the, the rabbis knew. Micah 5 2, he was born in Bethlehem. And this morning, we're reminded of a message that the Jews knew for 500 years. He's coming. Riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal, an ass. Now, I want to let you know that that was not a very popular thing. The Romans laughed at it, mocked it, jeered it. The Jews were afraid they were going to upset the Romans about a king that can save. <clears throat> it reminds me of the real triumphal entry. That's in the future. Revelation 19. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it called Faithful and True and Righteous, and he judges and makes war. Friends, when Jesus comes the next time, it won't be humble, it won't be simple, and no one will miss it. He is coming as king. And it says, his eyes are like flames of fire. His head, on his head were many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but he himself. He's clothed in the robe, dipped in blood, and the name which he called the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed and fine linen, white and pure, following him on horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 
and on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, he made the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. That's his humble entry. When he comes again to set up his millennial kingdom, he will be king. And by the way, his, his reign will not end after a thousand years. He will reign throughout all eternity. This is our Jesus. You know, for each of us today, the triumphal entry has consequences. <clears throat> Do you realize that Christ is your eternal hope? You know, as we see God unfolding our lives, I'll tell you one thing that this passage makes me of when I realize how much God controlled everything about the triumphal entry. Hey, he controls that about our lives too. And I'll tell you, the most important thing in this world is for you and I to give Jesus Christ his rightful place in our life. If we don't do that, how foolish are we? The cross of Christ, I believe, is the focal point of eternity. God's plans are eternal. And friends, I still get a thrill out of this. He gives eternal life. No end to it. Forever and ever. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. God help any of us if we think anything we do is going to make us right with God. You can't work your way to heaven. What do we have to do? Realize we're a sinner and we need a Savior who paid the once and for all price for our sins. I'll tell you, when you're in the grace of God, you can have the Prince of Peace. When you're in the grace of God, you can have rest and hope. I know that I'm going to heaven because of Jesus Christ, not because anything I've done. You see, the triumphal entry didn't end it. We are looking forward to seeing him face to face. And I assure you, his second coming will not be meek, it will not be lowly, but it will be in great power and great majesty and great glory found only in Jesus Christ. Recently, my wife and I in our morning devotions <clears throat> read this quote, and I kind of worked it over, but it comes from one of the old Puritans, most of it. He says, remember the church can never forget in these evil days. And I don't know about you, 
but I sometimes can't believe how the world's going to pot. If you think you're behind, that is, the world's just getting worse and worse, in the fourth quarter, in these last days, remember, God has promised we win. You know, every once in a while, I have to just pull myself apart, say, hey, we win. Christ is going to win. He's going to give us the victory. And when he returns, he's going to shut every mouth, and he will reign as king. You know, this one who humbly rode into Jerusalem on a little donkey. Hey, friends, when he comes again, nobody's going to be giving him back talk. You know, I've witnessed to people, and I've had them look at me and say, well, I'll tell you this. When I stand before God, I'll take it up with him. I'll tell you, when any of us stand before God, we won't be giving him any back talk. We'll be listening. And he is the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege just to be here this morning and to be reminded of all the events that happened when you entered Jerusalem. And you were entered for the purpose of dying once on the cross for once and for all for our sins. And so we thank you that we have an all-sufficient Savior here this morning who loved us and gave himself for us and Lord, help us to live in light of your promises. You're an eternal God, and you have eternal promises. And God, we pray that today we would worship you and glorify you, and you alone. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand. Steve. 